0: Welcome to episode 100. It's a special uh, milestone for us here uh, with the GTO and 5G. It's the latest Insight Scoop on everything 5G, and we cover six topics in about 20 minutes. It's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. So let's get started with my first topic. And I attended the big 5G event this year. I've attended this van in years past at ping pongs between Denver and Austin. So it came back to Austin this year. I will say attendance was much greater than it was last year as we were still kind of coming out of the pandemic there in Denver. I'm sure light reading will have uh, an official total and tally. I would estimate there were at least a thousand folks there. It was over three days. Uh, the first day was focused on an Intel Builders event for developers. Is my understanding as well as a 6g track i did not attend those so i did attend days two and three Um, had a lot of meetings uh, attended the keynotes attended some breakouts as well and i guess there wasn't really anything earth-shattering from my perspective although chris pearson who leads the 5g americas and someone that both Anshul, you and i are, are very close to He and I had a a discussion and uh, he also presented in a couple of the forums and one of the stats I believe that he shared was around 5G SA and so standalone truly will unlock the true promise of 5G, I was encouraged to see that in 2022 about 100 operators in over 50 countries are either trialing in the midst of developing and and deploying um, standalone networks. And that's great news in the US. T-Mobile continues to be the only standalone network deployment. But we should see now AT&T and uh, with Verizon, with their CBAN assets, begin to deploy their networks as well. So again, that was my biggest takeaway. I I know that you couldn't attend the the event uh, this week, but was there any news that caught your eye?
1: Yeah, I think the one was that um... Well, it was a it was a buy buy thing where um, T-Mobile talked about expanded coverage of five G, mm-hmm. um, and also that they are um, I'm not sure if this happened at the big five G event, but I think it happened during, um, which was that you know they're they're expanding their wholesale business and you know signing lots of contracts, uh, re-signing a lot of their existing customers, right, um, and that um, Dish set some of its growth plans. Um, saying that, um, they were, I want to say, um, trying to hit something like 40 million customers Mm -hmm. and 20% of the enterprise market. Um, well, I'm not sure they'll be able to hit 40 million. Um, but they, you know, they didn't really say when that will happen. So it could happen, you know, in 10 years. Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I actually think the twenty percent of the enterprise market is probably much more um, likely, okay. just because I feel like a lot of what they're doing is very like enterprise focused mm-hmm. on the infrastructure side, yeah. uh, and I say I think they're setting themselves up for success there. So we'll see what happens yeah. uh, with Dish. But um, it was a it was interesting. Um, I, I saw some other um, big five G event uh, announcements, but to your point. There weren't that many that were particularly newsworthy. I think a lot of it was just kind of like giving everybody's updates on where they're at and what they're thinking.
0: Yeah, business as usual for sure. Yeah, you know, I caught some news on Dish. You know, one of the things that I've spoken about in prior podcasts is around that 1 million uh, prepaid subscribership that they acquired through the investitures that T-Mobile had to make when the Sprint acquisition came together. As well as they're picking up an NVNO, and you know, Boost is sort of kind of the lead there. They did have some, you know, not so great news about a week ago where they have lost a lot of those subscribers. That was going to be their beachhead from my perspective to build uh, 5G service, you know, delivery at least for consumer on top of. Um, they have this coverage target they're going to have to meet, and you know, in, during the summer time frame or they risk a, a big fine. I think they'll probably get a reprieve on on that as well. But getting back to T-Mobile, um, I did have a chance to spend time with Neville Ray. We had a one-on-one. One of the things I was struck with is just again the continued success of their fixed wireless access business. During his keynote, he did speak to the fact that they've hit a million subscribers, and that they have plans to hit five to seven million within the next uh, twelve to eighteen months. That's that's pretty aggressive. It's probably a you know a two-year plus you know horizon. From my perspective, I could be misquoting those numbers, um, but uh, but you know, long and the short of it, T-Mobile's seen a lot of success, and they're seeing a lot of success in rural as well. And um, I believe one of the stats was that they're covering about a third of those subscribers are, are are in the rural areas of the U.S. So they're definitely doing their part to bridge the digital divide. So um, yeah, it was a great two days. It was great to be back in person. And again, really enjoyed, you know, a lot of the meetings I had and, and the breakouts. There was one breakout AT&T and Cisco presented together um, talking about private 5G. Um, I shared some insights on Twitter that day. So if you're interested, go hit my my handle at Willtown Tech. But let's move to your first topic this week. And there's news out of India. It seems like they're now in a position, right, to begin to deploy 5G.
1: Yes. Um, the best way to put in this is uh... India is finally uh, getting it together. Um, you know, India has lagged the rest of the um, the world in 5G deployments. Um, you know, China is well ahead in their next door. Um, and then obviously the U.S. and Europe have already deployed 5G um, with most carriers. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other places. The Middle East is already fairly well deployed, obviously not geographically, but that's still far ahead of where India is today. Um, India still hasn't even auctioned off the spectrum. Um, And this is actually very similar to the problem that they had with 4G, where 4G spectrum was not made available early enough. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the case with 5G is still better than it was with 4G. Um, But I think the lack of 4G actually hampered India's economy's growth. Mm -hmm. So I also think that, you know, the slow deployment of 5G is, is also going to impact India because um, they're going to have, they're going to lag in terms of development and deployment so that when 5G use cases do come out, networks won't be ready. Um, so he, the, the, the thing that's planning, the thing that's going to happen is the spectrum auction is finally happening. Um, if I were, recall correctly, it was supposed to have happened in like 2021, right. if not 2020.
0: We've talked about um, that before. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We've talked about on previous podcasts. I think it was supposed to be like mid 2021 and it slipped to late 2021. Now it's mid 2022. Um, so in June. Uh, and then the first rollouts will happen sometime in October. Uh, but the expectation is that um, 5G services will be available in limited areas of 30 to 50 cities by March. So realistically the the you know uh actual usable deployments will probably be sometime in that time frame of march 2023 Mm -hmm. um which is almost four years after 5g launched in the us and korea right so that's still a considerable lag in my opinion yeah um but let's be honest the first year of 5g with millimeter wave was not particularly uh beneficial to anyone Mm-hmm. Um so I'll say that first year was a, a bit early. Yeah. Um so let's say a 3 year head start. That's still pretty bad for India. Right. Um but there there are they, you know they're going to take advantage of uh existing uh telecom infrastructure from Ericsson, Nokia, and Samsung. Um and there is a possibility that they could actually start to deploy open ran. Um we you know it's still up in the air, what 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 that will look like in India, right. um, but they're saying that the first phase will have a, a thousand towers in each city, um, and that there will be four thousand towers total um, in New Delhi, um, and and you know the usual suspects of Ericsson, Nokia, and Samsung are going to be supplying the hardware, um, but you know the, the spectrum that they're planning to deploy for five G are. 700, 800, 900, 1.8, 2.1, 2.3, 2.5, and 3.3 to 3.6, which okay. are all very similar to the spectrum that already exists today. Right. Um, but I have a feeling that there's not going to be that much spectrum in each band available, which is probably why they have to have so many different bands available for mm-hmm. 5G spectrum. Yeah. And uh, you know, those lower three bands are not necessarily going to have particularly good performance,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: but those will probably provide coverage while the other bands will probably provide much more performance and and you know that mid-band kind of speed. So um, that's kind of the expectation with India right now. Uh, other than that, um, Ericsson and Nokia are already running uh, 5G trials with Bharti Airtel and Vodafone, uh, and Samsung is carrying a 5G trial with Reliance Geo. So, Yeah. Um, Trials already happening, but um, it's unfortunately very slow.
0: Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, you touched on OpenRAN. And I think that's an opportunity for that market. I mean, obviously, CapEx is a challenge. And I haven't really dug into, um, you know, what, what, you know, well, I mean, the spectrum auctions haven't even occurred yet. Right. So we'll have to see how that all nets out. But, you know, certainly OpenRAN could provide an opportunity to, um, you know, from a, from a CapEx perspective to say a little bit there. But as I've discussed on prior podcasts, there are integration challenges with that as well. So it'll be interesting to see how it all rolls out. Reliance has proven to be very um, aggressive and nimble and agile in that market when you look at what they've done with uh, their LTE build out. So I personally expect to see Reliance sort of leading the pack. But it'll be interesting to see how that all shake out, shakes out. But we will keep our eyes and ears open and um, report back probably on a future podcast. But with that, let's move to my second topic this week. And I, I caught some really interesting news around uh, BT Group, and they're testing quantum radio technology uh, for future five G deployments. And I found this quite interesting. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna read a little bit, um, you know, from from this news release that I found. But what what this does is these receivers basically excite or agitate atoms to achieve what's uh, considered to be a hundred times greater sensitivity than conventional radio equipment. And uh, so it's an atomic radio frequency you know, type solution. And it uh, promises to not only bolster capabilities of future 5G and IoT networks, but also reduce energy consumption. So there is an OPEX benefit to it as well. Um, I think it's pretty cool. You know, we've we've heard about quantum computing, quantum networking, and now quantum radio. So what do you think?
1: Uh, you know, I cannot say that I am a expert in wireless radio theory,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but I will actually look into it more to try and understand it. Um, keyword being try. Um, but uh, <laughs> in theory, I, I can understand how that would be an interesting concept, because um, if you're exciting atoms, you don't actually have to operate through air. Um, You could operate through any medium Um, if you, you know, if you tune your frequency correctly.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: So that could be really interesting for, you know, um, underwater networking, um, or it could be really interesting for, um, you know, transmitting radio through walls, um, and other kinds of objects that are probably problematic. Um, so I think there could be some really interesting um, theories that could be tested. Um, and, and potentially, you know, we find certain bands of quantum radio, um, you know, can, can pass through any concrete wall or um, can, you know, Send a signal five times farther at a certain frequency. So, um, I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, but I definitely need to look into it more and understand what that what that could potentially mean. Maybe that's something that we use with six G. Um, who knows? Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. Uh, While well, your insights were were um, clearly and um, in, more intelligent than probably mine, and I always like to say I'm not an engineer, but I play one on TV. But it's it's definitely interesting technology, and to your point, um, it could factor into uh, 6G with terahertz and you know propagation and that sort of thing. So, but that's something that we'll dig into, and it might make for an interesting follow up on a future podcast. But let's move to your second topic, and there's news uh, from Rakuten Mobile in a 5G fixed wireless access deployment that's planned.
1: Yeah, so Rakuten's kind of expanding its services in Japan. They said that they're going to they they expect to launch fixed wireless access in Japan in December, um, and that they're just waiting for their CPE devices to arrive so they can roll that out and test it. Uh, Unfortunately, it sounds like they're having some supply chain issues with those, Mm -hmm. um, which doesn't really surprise me. Um, Everyone's having them, Um, but they also said that their FWA will run or their fixed wireless will run on sub six and millimeter wave. Um, and that they're not only trying to roll out mobile services, but also running, rolling out fiber to the home right. um, and using FWA for wireless to the home. So I think it's going to be very interesting. You know, they're still in an expansion mode. Um, and I think that they want to, you know, gain as many customers as they can and in many ways as possible, um, especially when you talk about all the things that are happening um, with Rakuten. Um, and, you know, on an innovation front. Um, but, you know, their 4G network is, is solid now. Um, but they definitely have some work to do on their build out of their 5G network. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously profitability as well. Um, but, you know, being a new network operator is never easy, as Dish has shown us as well. Right. Um, so I think, um, you know, they're, they're on the right path. Um, and we'll see what that looks like down the road as as 5G use cases start to become more clear. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, it's good to see Rakuten is kind of taking the uh, expected path, I guess, right. um, in terms of uh, adding new customers. Everyone's pretty much uh, following the expectations that you and I both have had that FWA is going to be a big opportunity for 5G. And lo and behold, it's starting to become one.
0: Yeah, you know, and speaking, I'll mention Chris Pearson again with 5G America's little call out there. We'll need to tag them on on our post this week. Um, We were sort of talking about use cases, and, you know, FWA is kind of bubbling up as, you know, one of the key sort of broader uh, use cases for 5G. Uh, This doesn't surprise me to to hear this, you know, coming from Rakatan. I mean, it's going to be a great ARPU, um, you know, upside for them. Um, it, it, it naturally fits into what they're trying to do. Um, I also like the fact they're gonna focus on millimeter wave, assuming for urban deployment, sort of last mile of fiber to the point that you are making earlier, and then leveraging that mid band for you know, getting distance and propagation. So I think it's a smart move on their part and we'll keep our eyes and ears open on that one as well. But let's move to my third and final topic this week. And I've been talking about this on prior podcasts, the Ericsson cradle point combination. And officially, news came out this week that um, in June, a new business group is going to be launched. It's going to discreetly focus on private 5G. It's going to be a new business unit. It appears that they're going to go direct to enterprise. And so the question that came to my mind is, can they fully compete with a more established Nokia enterprise? It's been doing this for quite some time. I think they can, Cradlepoint has enjoyed a great install base within uh, enterprise accounts. They fuel a lot of the connectivity uh, in Starbucks and, and, and we've talked about this in the past. So you're probably not aware, um, but at retail they're quite present. And so um, I think they can compete effectively. I think one of the challenges that Nokia Enterprises had is that route to market. You know, They are a service provider focused company. They don't have an install base, an enterprise like a Cisco or an HPE has. Those two latter companies are also going after the private 5G opportunity as well. At the end of the day, there are going to be multiple routes to market with respect to private 5G. It's going to be delivered as a service. Uh, You're going to have turnkey solutions. You're going to, you know, and, you know, so, um, you know, choice is good, but it'll be interesting to see how things settle out. But I do think um, they have the right DNA and cradle point to really make a run at the enterprise. So do you have any final thoughts?
1: No, not really. I think this will be a, a, an acquisition that'll take some time to um, realize fully, Mm -hmm. but I think it's, I I do think it's a good acquisition for them. And um, you know, the cradle point uh, win at T-Mobile, I think is going to be a a big opportunity for them as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because I think, Uh, T-Mobile is a greenfield opportunity um, for enterprise. And, um, you know, it seems like T-Mobile is leading their FWA business with Cradlepoint on the enterprise side. So
0: yeah, and I'll also mention um, that I'll be participating in a virtual event with T-Mobile and Cradlepoint. So stay tuned to that news. But let's move to your third and final topic this week. And you want to talk about Canada. And we've talked about I think on prior podcasts about the Huawei and ZTE, you know, challenges and the rip and replace that's going on. But Canada this week came out with sort of an official position on it. You wanted to share that with our listeners and viewers.
1: Yes, so um, Canada has finally made its uh, claims to uh, operators in Canada that they must remove all the ZTE and Huawei equipment from their networks by mid 2024. Um, And I have a feeling that uh, the reason why this situation took longer uh, than maybe it should have is because Canada had its, um, you know, had Huawei's, one of Huawei's executives in prison for a couple of years.
0: Oh, that's um, right. It was actually uh, the founder uh, founder's daughter, right?
1: Yes. So uh, I have a feeling that, uh, you know, this is a result of that being resolved. Um, she was held in Canada until late last year.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: um, I think they were trying to figure out the diplomatic situation because I believe China was also holding some Canadians as a uh, tit for tat, uh, or an eye for an eye, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um and um, it seems like they finally announced what they were planning to do all along, um, saying that they want Z- Huawei and ZTE equipment out by June twenty eighth, twenty twenty four, and that they will be able to um, stop. They also have to stop purchasing any four G or five G products by September of this year, um, and that fixed wireline. Uh, restrictions are also coming so this is just for 5g networks for now Um, but yeah this is this is kind of expected um, maybe a little bit later than anyone um, had planned but this also bought some canadian operators more time uh, to do their upgrades Uh, and you know they probably were planning on upgrading their hardware anyways um, because if they had any 5g or 4g equipment that was probably due for upgrade as it was already so yeah hopefully you know they've had time to make this decision uh, and execute upon it but um, yeah it's just kind of i think this kind of finally closes the door on uh, huawei and zte infrastructure in the west
0: it does and i wonder if this also leads and bleeds into uh, the enterprise as well and not private 5g for enterprise but enterprise networking router switches and that sort of thing, because that is also a business that Huawei is in. And it's last time I checked, it was a 12 to $14 billion business for them. So there could be a ripple effect. I mean, you know, with 5g, you know, infrastructure to start, but it could lead to that. It'll be interesting to see how things sort of wind out. But, um, my friend, another great podcast, it was our hundredth episode. We've been doing this for a couple of years. And I got to tell you, buddy, um, I really enjoy doing these with you every week and we continue to build our subscribership and it's just a blast. And I'm looking forward to the next 100 with you as well.
1: Likewise, it's been fun. And I, I hope we uh, aren't boring you guys today. death. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll take us home. Uh, we <laughs> hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights for a specific 5G topic for a future podcasts, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Town Tech, and I'm at On Shell Slog. We hope you have a great weekend, and please tune in again next week.